0: Hi all and welcome back to another episode of Dua Lipa at your service My guest today is Russell Brand Someone you've undoubtedly encountered if you've consumed pop culture in any way over the past 15 years An English comedian, author, actor, YouTuber and all-round larger-than-life personality Who's never been known to shy away from controversy Russell began his career in stand-up comedy more than 20 years ago It led him to acting on the world stage, booking starring roles in beloved comedy films like Forgetting Sarah Marshall and its sequel, Get Him to the Greek. Throughout his truly storied career, he's peppered in countless presenting gigs, some sold out tours, a pair of podcasts, and in what has truly become every entertainer's rite of passage, a guest spot on The Simpsons.
1: It's great to be here with all the old friends I haven't seen since rehab. No, no, I'm just kidding. None of you are my friends.
0: Russell has also written several books, including two best-selling memoirs. In 2017, he released Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions, which told the story of his own addiction and subsequent journey to recovery. He followed that up in 2019 with Mentors, How to Help and Be Helped, a guide to giving and accepting advice, help and guidance in good times and bad. Still performing comedy for audiences around the globe, his current tour takes him across the UK through the end of May. He describes this live show as performing stand-up on the strangeness of the last 18 months. What have we learned and not learned? And how do you get back to normal if you've never been normal? In our very illuminating conversation, I asked Russell to help me dig deep as we explored the intersections of fame and all that comes with it. His soliloquies on sobriety, self-worth and the role that ego still plays in all our lives had me thinking for days after. I walked away from our interview feeling deeply moved by his honesty and openness and I think you will too. His life has changed a lot over the past few years. Let's see how he's handling it. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Yeah, really good. Really good. I've got children.
0: Oh, how, how's that?
1: It's intense, it's intense, it's intense. It's intense, <laughs> it's really intense.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm sure I'm sure it's It's nice to, to have some energy running around.
1: There's certainly energy, do uh, It's nice. Yeah. This conversation
0: was extra special to me because whilst I hadn't met Russell Brand, we'd spoken through a mutual friend because I was interested in starting therapy and he came through with a recommendation. So he was of service
1: to me way before this. So I saw you on uh, Mates with Andrew And also, I think he maybe sent me something.
0: Yeah, he actually, he sent you a text message. I was going through a really intense period in my life. And I was like, I need to find a therapist. I can't believe I haven't done this. I've never been to therapy. I think I should just go and talk to someone. And he was like, oh, I've got a friend who could possibly help you with finding somebody. And in the meantime, I'd also like text five other friends. I'm like, please, someone recommend me a therapist. And I actually got in touch with somebody great. So oh, I, I appreciate I'm you. Um, I'm
1: so glad
0: to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes, you know, things can get so overwhelming and I haven't really spent time to really take care of myself in certain ways. But now I'm like learning to do that. Um, yeah. But I'm really interested in talking to you about your journey. I want to talk a little bit about your sobriety. I want to talk a little bit about life in the limelight. I want to, I guess, I, I first of all, I just want to start with what was your concept of Sobriety before embarking on that journey yourself? Like, how do you feel like your feelings changed when you undertook sober life?
1: I don't think I had a concept of a sober life before I embarked on it. When I think about how my life unfolded, I feel like I was a little kid in the particular chaos of my childhood, of growing up as an only child of a single mother who was sick a lot. And my own nascent addictions then do which were like pretty ordinary things like chocolate and TV. All these things were pretty obsessive. Mm. Then when I was like relatively young, 14, 15, 16, normal age, starting to smoke weed and drink alcohol and all that stuff. And it kind of immediately filled something in me that I didn't really even recognize I was missing. But what I was missing is connection. Mm comfort, a sense of safety and ease. The problem is, of course, with using external methods, particularly chemicals, to solve inner emotional problems, is you cannot control the manner in which they escalate. Particularly if, as in my case, like a pamphlet from the government, I started off with like smoking weed, and then ended up with crack and heroin addiction, like someone in a public address film telling you why you shouldn't take drugs or it will lead to worse problems. So by the time I saw, Stopped taking drugs, (laughs) I'd undergone such sort of like emotional and spiritual crisis, even though then I wouldn't have looked at it as an emotional and spiritual crisis. Anyone, anywhere who drinks and uses drugs, even if they're not doing it addictively, are doing it for spiritual and emotional reasons because people are doing it to feel better. They're doing it to escape. They're Mm -hmm. doing it to medicate in some cases. But even if you're only using it recreationally and for a laugh, that's your inner state. That's your inner life. You're trying to remedy and alter your inner life using an external agent for a lot of people. They can do that their whole lives. Like I know people that recreationally use drugs. It's not a problem for them. But for other people, there's an inability to control it because there is a deep, deep hunger, a deep longing. And I now know this to be a spiritual longing for wholeness, for connection, for meaning. And you won't find that in drugs and alcohol in the end.
0: It is so interesting when you put it like that, because I guess a lot of people don't necessarily think that when they drink or when they do drugs that it's actually trying to like fill a void of some sort. You know, they just kind of do it because it's like fun or whatever. And I guess a key tenet of sobriety is keeping your ego in check in some way. And I read in 2010, you did an interview with Rolling Stone and you said that you're constantly distracted by my ambition, narcissism, vanity, desire and lust and that you just don't pretend to enjoy anonymity. And I was just wondering, like, how do you square those like vices with living a successful like sober life?
1: Well, you know, in the 12 years that have passed since I said that and I've not read that, if I've read it at all, I've not read it in a long time... I still recognise the problems that I'm listing there, but my relationship with those things has changed and it's changed because I have a programme now and I'm in recovery and my programme is a progressive one. So you see, like you're entertainer you're a globally successful entertainer and I remember a little bit what it's like not only because I've not been in precisely your position not many people have but I've been very close to that at different points in my life of seeing like what it's like when you're in the middle of that maelstrom that requires you to have a strong ego and a strong sense of who you are that requires of you the ability to stand up in front of thousands of people and in your case sing and create strong potent energy to manage that And not go crazy is not easy. That is why a lot of people do go crazy. It's not a coincidence that a lot of people that have been in that position die and die of chemical misuse or go mental or become unbearable. And how I've squared the challenge that you just outlined, Dua, is that I've increasingly come to recognise that all those feelings of desire and lust and vanity that I used to feel very strongly and I still feel sometimes, though thankfully not as strongly. I've made those labels. It's me and the culture that I live in that have said, oh, are you feeling empty and lost? Maybe if you felt really good about the way you look, maybe that's the solution. Our culture continually Mm. feeds us that idea. As I've gotten older and more mature and I've had opportunity to look at my own behaviour and sort of connected with some deeper latent aspects of myself, I've recognised not only the fallibility of that kind of lifestyle, but also its inability to ever fulfil me. So even though I recognise what you've just said, desire, lust, all those things, they're still sort of part of my makeup. I've just been punched in the face by life so many times now, do it? It's just life has kicked my head in so bad, I'm starting to be disabused of the idea that those things can ever, ever again work for me. And um, I think mm. that the quicker an individual learns those lessons, the less the less suffering there is. How are you getting on with those things?
0: Well, I kind of just always had this weird understanding that like my job is extraordinary, but my life is super normal. And my mates are really normal. Everything that I've like grown up around has been very the same and, and hasn't really changed. And those things have kind of kept me grounded in that way. But definitely you know, you constantly feel like you have to live up to people's expectation of what a pop star should look like, what you have to do, you know, everything that goes on around it. So it takes a little bit of juggling, for sure, but I felt quite supported in this in this process. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I, I can't say that I've figured anything out. It's all just a work in process for sure. But I think as the years go by, I'm definitely not the same person I was when I was 17 and I kind of started this out. I'm more in control of who I am and and the music that I want to put out and the artist that I am. I did a, a previous chat for my podcast with... Um, I spoke to Sir Elton John and I spoke to him also about his sobriety. And we talked about what he had spoken to his rehab counsellor about. And that was... Um, So his rehab counsellor essentially was asking him what he was going to do to fill the donut. And I guess by filling the donut, it's kind of this hole that, you know, when you're no longer using drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever that is, what is the one thing that, you know, makes you feel whole in that sense? And I was wondering what your answer to that would be.
1: Well, I've like come to believe in God, doer, and... What I mean by God is a set of um, principles that I can live by, service, kindness, not being totally obsessed with what I want the whole time, mm. but also a belief in a kind of underlying unity and oneness that can actually be felt and connected to by meditative and respiratory Practice. If you have part of your life that makes them sort of demands of you that takes you to those heights that you and Elton John and uh, you know sort of maybe a hundred other people since the nineteen fifties have experienced, you gotta have some serious grounding, some serious connection with your inner life. Otherwise, Mm. like the record shows, that you will try and synthesize that connection in other ways. You will try to fabricate it, and that that might and often does kill those people. Of course, this is not only information that's relevant and necessary for global pop stars. Otherwise, what would be the point of it? It wouldn't sell many copies if it were a book. But all of us can learn that if we are going to have a relationship with divinity, the sacred, the transcendent, we have to find a way of earthing it. And when we do it for a living, you know, like play with those forces and that energy and it's commercialised and it's commodified. Mm-hmm. That is the nature of the world we live in. We have somehow more of a duty to remain earthed. Like I, even with the shows that I've done, when I finish, I'm thinking, how am I coming down? What am I going to do now? And luckily now I've got two daughters and loads of yeah. pets and I come home to a house that where there's basically feces on every surface so i've got enough cleaning to do to (laughs) literally get me on the floor to bring you back down oh seriously it smashes me down
0: yeah it's definitely a grounding experience we'll be right back after this short break you're so good at being of service and sharing your knowledge and really talking about your experience with sobriety and being really open about that. And do you feel like you find it hard to ask for help yourself when people see you as such like a guiding force or a light in their life where they're like, I need to listen to this knowledge and kind of you know get an understanding and people you know see that they can relate to you in some way does that make it ever hard for you to to go and ask for
1: help maybe i used to find it hard to ask for help I have to. I really need a lot of help and I'm very lucky that I have mentors. I've written about it. I wrote a book called Mentors and in that I talked about the people that I turn to. I have like a mentor specifically around addiction and alcohol who's not drunk or use drugs for a lot longer than me and knows how to work the program that I use and when I'm experiencing doubt or fear I can turn to him and say I'm thinking of doing this now. What do you think I should do? And he'll say don't do what you're thinking you idiot and then I'll listen to what he does (laughs) so that means I'm a different person I'm using someone else's brain I know brilliant women with lots of experience in recovery my friend Mania I know a brilliant uh, like a healer called Meredith like I know I have an incredible therapist called Bruce I have people that are ahead of me on the path elders mentors that I turn to Mm. in the end as you know as your life has surely shown you you are kind of on your own except for some deep connection with God when it comes to the crunch time when the people Mm -hmm. die that you love most when your heart gets broken you have to be able find something in yourself. You have to cultivate some connection in yourself because if you don't have that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble in life. But what I have are people around me that I can turn to. And my pride has been broken, annihilated. I've got no choice but to ask for help. My life has shown me again and again, I am vulnerable. I am weak. I need God. And what I mean by God, again, just for clarity, is a sense of deep unity and abiding love and a point within me that is also in you and is also in all other people that we can reach beyond. Beneath the apparent separation of the water, there is the connection of the land. All of the countries of the world are one place, merely apparently separated. So like, For me, I don't think like that when I'm left to my own devices. I just think, I want this. I want that. I don't want this. I don't want preferences. I live in a world of preferences. But this program, the program of Mm -hmm. recovery, can take us to a place of awakening where we can make a decision to move away from different behaviors. It doesn't mean an end to suffering. Like two or three days ago, I felt just total despair. Like I'm not good enough. Things aren't working out for me. I'm afraid. I'm not good enough, father. But like now I know enough to sort of stop and reach out to those people and get a better perspective on my life. And, you know, I think, oh, I'm so complicated. It won't work for me. But actually, these principles are what I would call and what are known as universal. That means everyone is varied and diverse and a unique expression of the limitless. But there are certain ideas and psychic energies that are applicable to all of us. And that is not a challenge to our, Mm -hmm. you know, differentness.
0: I understand that you've had your struggles, but you are so strong in yourself. And so I think it will be really encouraging for everybody listening to hear you say that. And as your profile in Hollywood grew so much, how did you maintain sobriety in that industry, which kind of feels like there's constantly some kind of party or a social event, or it's such a big part of the culture? How did that affect your life?
1: Well, for me at that point, Dua, it weren't so much about substance use. It was about like sort of I was pretty um, needy and greedy in some other areas. And I reckon the experience of fame and celebrity can make you a little delirious and a little distracted. I suppose what I learned mostly from that time is the things that I thought would make me happy would not make me happy. When I was a little boy growing up in Greys in Essex with just my mum and I was like fat and unattractive, I felt. I, I If I'd have known that there was going to be some point in the future where I was going to be a Hollywood star and people would be attracted to me and I, I, I would have thought that would have been everything. But it was not everything. Mm. It was pretty close to nothing, to tell you the truth. So what I've come away from that with, and to connect to something you just said, is I've learned that... There is a wound in me, and I suspect from what you've already said, there is a wound in you also. But from this wound can come a kind of power, and part of that power is the ability to connect with people. Part of the problem with our culture is we try to connect with one another Mm -hmm. uh, from this sort of posturing position of strength or weaponize victimhood rather than sharing in the truth that all of us suffer. Mm -hmm. I try to remember when I feel angry or irritated or agitated by a person that anyone in the world could tell me something about themselves that would make me cry with compassion about having their heart broken or about the loss of someone they dearly loved or feelings of failure or actual victimhood or abuse. And that, that if I remember that about people, I'm more inclined to come at them from a place in myself that is beautiful and acknowledging a vulnerability to not look at other people in terms of what they can give me or do for me, but to look at myself as a conduit potentially for service. This. Principle is not something I'm able to live by with anything like a hundred percent success because I'm continually returning as if magnetized to a place of oh I want this I want that that person hurt my feelings I you know, like that kind of stuff goes on in my mind all the time. But through practice, do I through meditative practice, through prayer, by spending time with other people that are on this path instead mm-hmm. of other people that are continually trying to go go that way go that way. You know when you talk about Hollywood, I met some amazing, beautiful, awakened, incredible, lovely kind talented people out there so this is not condemnation of people but we're talking about systems and if you are in a system that is about the creation of revenue then every single decision is minutely biased by that principle so before you know it everything is governed in that way so yeah what I, I suppose learned from that experience is that I needed to have some other experiences and so I'm really, really grateful for that. And for you, it's. I wonder what your challenges are going to be because you're a lot younger, you're a lot more successful. You're going to have a, a, a lot of challenges, but it looks like you're starting to think about those challenges already. It's
0: quite interesting, actually, because for so long, I've always just been like, oh, well, everything's fine. You know, I've just got my mates from London and I don't, you know, I don't need anybody else and everything's fine. And my life is, you know, like I was saying earlier. And then as things start to progress, you kind of start seeing, you know, people's motives or the way that they approach you in conversation or what people, you know, what they want from you. And at, at points you're like, Oh, this is really fun, and this person seems nice, and all of a sudden, all the tables turn, and you're just like, okay, this wasn't exactly what I thought it was, and I have to end up going back to self and figuring out those relationships and what makes me happy, what makes me feel good, and the people that I want to surround myself with. So it's it's definitely a process. Life is a process. I thought I don't know why, but I thought I had it figured out at some point, and then things just kind of start slipping away. But it's it's definitely been especially this year so far has been such like a massive year for growth i've started to understand myself in a very different way i i think i've found maybe confidence in myself that i didn't have before i was wondering now you know how has your relationship to fame and work changed really like over the past 20 years for you how do you pick what gig you do you know is it is it about stability or I don't know. I I find you such a deeply intellectual person. Like, how do you go about seeking a challenge?
1: Well, what I do now is I recognize that I can still sometimes be, um, what do I want to say, stimulated by or attracted to things that are ultimately about vanity. So I recognize that in myself. I try not to put too many things in front of myself that might make me want to do things for the wrong reason. So I don't look at loads and loads of media anymore. I also have learned about myself that I like to generate and direct my own work. And that has meant that I do less acting, and more comedy and comedy is what I started doing and comedy is what I enjoy doing and it also gives me access to my own voice. I also recognise that we're fortunate to live in a time where now content creators, as we are sometimes known, have access to the means of production. So it's possible for me to make content and put it out directly to people. So now when I'm thinking about what I want to do for a living, I try to, as best I can, stay connected to what my real principles are. What is it I'm trying to do? I want to connect with people where they really are. When I'm having this conversation with you, there are a couple of little things that go on in my head. I think, oh, this is Dua Lipa. She's super famous. Oh, how cool that she's interested in me even. And, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like I start to ruminate on the potential of you being a person that can be of benefit to me. Now, what I try and do when I feel those thoughts is that I don't condemn myself. Because I recognize that I live in a culture that's like that. I have a biology that's like that. And I just think that's just normal that you think those thoughts about success and uh, acquisition... What I try to be aware of, and thank God this is becoming more clear, is, ah, oh, this is a person that is the same as me. And I think about you and I think about the kind of place you must come from and the kind of life that you must have had to be interested in even having this conversation. And I recognise that my job is to be of service in this moment, not in the future or down the line in this moment Can I say things to this human being that's just a human being like me that was born and is going to die? Can I say things to her that will make her more able to navigate the challenges that doubtlessly lie ahead and the challenges that she is dealing with now? And when I use that as my line, when I use that as my principle, then it's beautiful to be me. And when I go the way of, can Julie Park get me somewhere or do something, you know, what I mean? when I go that way, I start to feel a bit ugly and I don't like myself. So I use that principle all the time. Like, so I did a film recently, like it was a big film. It's a Hollywood film. And like, I liked it and it's all cool. But I try not to get too sort of pulled into that stuff because I noticed I do feel a lot happier when I'm doing like I'm doing a live show at the moment where I'm touring in our country, the UK. And when I'm doing that, I feel like I'm looking at people's faces and I feel that I'm there with them. And I talk about the last couple Mm -hmm. of years and what it's done to us mentally and what is it exposed around corruption and what it reveals to us about how the world can change overnight. And when I'm doing that, I feel like I'm expressing my purpose. And I imagine you have comparable conflicts because obviously you are a person that is in their gift. When you are performing and creating music, you are in your gift and that is glorious. And... I feel that part of my journey and all of our journeys are not going to be the same has been how do I use this thing not only for the gratification of myself, the ornamentation of my ego, for my vanity, my fulfillment, my wealth, all of those things Mm -hmm. that I've, you know, at various times prioritized. How can I use it? to serve people now look i still earn money i'm still not like doing this and sleeping in a a sack in a gutter so i'm obviously (laughs) looking after myself but like in terms of the way that i make choices i think you know which part of me is driving which part of me is in charge in this moment now is it the part of me that thinks i'm not good enough that i'll never be good enough that i can only be fulfilled if other people like me or is it the part of me that knows I am all right, I'm a good person and I'm trying my best and I'm not that important, I'm just another human being that was born and going to die, can I be of service? When I'm that guy, it, everything is cool. And in fact, it's quite beautiful and powerful things happen and sometimes because of those beautiful and powerful things, I start thinking, I'm pretty important <laughs> actually, I should probably run the country. Oh no, no, you're doing that thing again, <laughs> come back down, back down, go and, go and clean the kitchen, go and pick up someone's poo and then we settle down again.
0: I absolutely love that. And I really do feel like I mean, even just in this conversation, I feel like you're being of service to me. And I really appreciate it because I'm learning a lot. And I feel like it's really nice to get to talk to someone who, in some ways, understands also what I'm going through. But what I think is really great about you is also how um, you're not afraid to be curious and you're not afraid to kind of have different opinions. And I think with that kind of idea in the back of your mind, where you're like, I am a good person, and I just want to like open up a conversation. I think that's kind of what the world needs, because I think people are a little bit afraid to be curious. And I think that's, it's a really wonderful thing to have. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. When this episode comes out, you're actually going to be on tour. And I'd love to talk to you about that and how you prepare for that. You know, how do you make sure that you're calm and that you're centered and that you're spiritual
1: while you're on the move? How I keep myself together i tell you what, it's a challenge. I'm not a person that can do like three, four nights. I can do three nights in a run and then I start to lose my voice and I start to lose my mind. Do you know what? I read this book that you would love. It talks about how the whole profession of show business may have been born of shamanism. Shamanism that is the religion of all indigenous cultures. Wherever they're found in the world, certain principles have been found, certain practices have been undertaken. Medicine, men and women, witch doctors, Doctors and shaman that their role of the shaman is to be a, what do I want to say, a totem, a central figure for the tribe that teaches the tribe or expresses to the tribe that you can move between different levels, that you can be torn apart and bring yourself back together. And wherever they find culture, they find these kind of practices, whether it's in like Siberia, whether it's in North America prior to colonization and settlement, African nations prior to colonization and settlement, like these cultures are found everywhere. And the figure of the shaman... They say in this book that I've read called "The Death and Resurrection Show." It's a really hard book to get hold of. It's like it's one of them. It's out of print or something. I had to buy it for a stupid amount of money. I have to find and it. Like it. "The Death and Resurrection Show." Amazing. It talks about how, like, when. When cultures first started to settle, the nomadic people were still nomads and the nomads would travel to the settled territories and they would kind of perform. But the rituals they would perform were their religious rites that appeared like conjury and trickery would involve songs and play and skullduggery and trickery. This book, he charts the various forms of entertainment, talks about figures like Charlie Chaplin and Houdini and Billie Holiday and like sort of various figures that embody this shamanic spirit. He says that the reason that show business has so much potency is because in a monotheistic, secularized and settled culture where you have a priest class and an academic class that tell you what to believe and what not to believe, there is something in us that knows that all of us are capable of having a deeply mystical experience and entertainers have taken that role. They strip away as best they can the mystical component. And when I say they, I just mean the sort of the effects of a culture that's increasingly interesting in commodification and commerce and not interested in the mystical experience because the mystical experience will always lead you to this. You have everything you need. You are enough. The answers will not come from outside of you. What does the culture require of us? You are not enough. You better get to work right now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you can yeah. see why these kind of principles have to be <sighs> suppressed. Anyway, so there are certain figures and perhaps they're different for each of us. We all have different icons for one person. It might be Beyonce, another person. It may be John Lennon, you know, that embody the idea that you can be torn apart and broken, but you can rebuild yourself, that reality isn't just what we can touch taste, smell, and hear, that there are depths and dimensions to reality that are sometimes experienced as love and sometimes experienced as loss that can never be materially understood. And what is it when you experience the beauty of a great song? Where is it taking you? What is that that you feel when you're travelling somewhere else because of melody and symphony? What is it when the chaos of a joke is unleashed on you and suddenly you don't know what's right and what's wrong for a split second? Yeah. This is a type of... Hmm. witchcraft, a type of magic, a point of access to altered states. When I'm touring, when I'm doing my stand-up comedy, I read little things like that. I remember that my job is not just to make people laugh or even just to make people think. My job is to connect to them, to be the opposite of every magazine that's told you that you're not good enough, to be the opposite of every politician that's made you feel that there's no such thing as society and there's no way out, to make you feel that, that you are beautiful, that change is possible, that we can create new realities and every reality that we have ever experienced passes through the consciousness of human beings just like us every building you've ever stood in was once an idea in someone's head and then a drawing on a piece of paper before you stood in it that we create reality that the outcomes are not decided or determined yet that we dream them into being this is the role of the entertainer the role of the entertainer or the entertainer shaman is not just to distract people not just to generate revenue is to tell people the truth about themselves to tell tell them the truth about love, to tell them that even though there is pain and despair and disappointment, there is something beautiful and there is something ongoing, that we are part of it, that we are carried on a great river. And the most important thing about us is not our individual identity, but our collective identity, glorious and beautiful, low our individual identity may be, particularly when it's fully realised. The word recovery, Dua, means we recover the person we were intended to be. That within you, as within an oak tree, there is a cove. Waiting to realize itself within the smallest seed, the potential for the tree dormantly lays. And no tree is going to experience cultural conditioning. No tree is going to experience someone telling it that it ain't good enough and you can't be this and you can't be that. The tree will actualize itself. Now, you know that you have a unique DNA code and I have a unique DNA code. And the point of recovery, whether you've been an alcoholic or a drug addict or not, is to actualize who you are, to get on your intended path. And not everyone's going to be the world's biggest pop star, but we should all become who we actually are. And if you don't do that, then you have not lived your life.
0: That was beautiful. I have chills the whole way through. That was, that was amazing. And, and something that I, um, I think I'm going to think a lot about, especially now while I'm on the road as well. It's amazing if we have derived from these shamanic rituals and, and I can totally see, you know, how that is as possible and, and maybe true.
1: Um, Yeah, you should think of yourself when you're performing on a stage and when you're singing that part of you is a priest, part of you is a shaman. You are conjuring states up, you are delivering emotion to people, you're awakening things that's already in them, whether you're talking about falling in love or having your heart broken or whatever the verbal subject or lyrical subject of the song is, thinking about what is it you're creating in people. When I've listened to your music, it seems that you're interested in creating powerful, transcendent joy, and this is an important shamanic state.
0: We're going to take another quick break. And while we're away, why don't you take a moment to go to service95.com and subscribe to our Service 95 newsletter. A new issue of Service 95 will hit your inbox every Thursday. And I don't think you'll want to miss a second of what we've been working on. So subscribe now at service95.com. We'll be right back after this short break. So in 2019... It was kind of just as I started releasing this new music, I was I, I spoke in an interview about online, you know, trolling and like hurtful social media comments and a lot of that kind of online bullying was really happening at the tail end of like my first album cycle. And it really it affected me deeply. It was it was something where I was like, I'm putting my heart and soul into something. I want to be really good at this, and people keep like shooting me down and telling me I'm not good enough, and I keep trying and I just can't seem to make anybody happy and I think I I stopped thinking of myself as myself and it it, it just kind of, it affected me in some really negative ways. And I remember that you had responded to it. I don't know if you remember, but it was a, a YouTube video of your own and it was titled, Dua Lipa, Is She Right About Online Toxic Abuse?
1: hello here i am right on your social media talking about Dua Lipa's comments about the nature of social media how negative it is and how it personally affects her hearing her speak uh, articulately honestly and with uh, integrity about how painful it can be to occupy a space in the public eye reminded me of when i lived more vividly in that space five, 10 years ago, whenever the hell it was. And God, it's unpleasant to live in the malaise and the storm and the sort of crackling, cackling, cruel storm of social media condemnation.
0: You know, I was wondering, like, what did my comments, you know, on social media and living a public life activate in you? I can definitely say that, like, a lot of my perspective has shifted and I had to like separate myself a lot from people's words and like the online abuse and get away from Twitter and do the whole thing. But I'd love to know, you know, what was it about that that compelled you to do one of your own YouTube videos on it?
1: Well, I felt like uh, that you had uh, calcified and sort of cemented a set of arguments with your uh, openness on the subject. So it gave me an opportunity to talk about those ideas more broadly. And what I feel is that sometimes it seems like there is an appetite to destroy people. And I wonder if it's particularly potent when it is a female that comes from something dark and unconscious in the culture. I've thought it before around Britney Spears. It's been sort of like there's a sort of an appetite to sort of sacrifice to devour Britney Spears. Mm. Then I've sort of seen it obvious in a really obvious case is like Diana, the sort of culture wanted to eat Diana, you know, like it couldn't handle it. And mm. then sort of more latterly and, but also tragically, you know, like, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, there was like a woman called Jade Goody. who was like a reality TV yeah. star. Yeah, and like yeah. she was sort of like really vilified and stuff and ended up dying of cancer. And then, of Just a couple of years ago, Caroline Flack, you know, took her own life. And I feel like there's sort of, even though on some level people think, oh, it's all right and it's normal. And I'm sure I certainly know that there have been points in my career where I've said and done stuff that's pretty dumb and pretty stupid and that I would not do again. But when you're in the position that you're in and you become a kind of a, a lightning rod for lots of people's opinions we have an obligation to not be unconscious about the humanity that is on the other side of the screen and the binary code and on the other side of the touchscreen and the keyboard. And I feel like um, you being willing to speak about that is a good opportunity to advance that conversation. I don't agree with censorship. That's my, my personal belief is that I agree with freedom of speech. But I think it's um pretty unfortunate that so much of the speech appears to be the result of unprocessed, unconscious loathing, which I can only assume is a kind of an expression of sort of self-loathing, really. Mm. And I suppose I must of. It's a couple of years ago, and I sort of remember it vaguely, but I suppose I must have felt for you. I must have felt for you because, obviously, I've been close to people that are in your position. I've experienced some of it myself. And, you know, I guess it gives... It's a good opportunity... When I'm not speaking about myself, it gives me a better opportunity to talk about it more literally, objectively, because I'm not saying, oh, I don't like people hurting my feelings. I'm saying, look, can't you see that this is sort of plainly wrong? And the idea that sort of, like, people vent in the unconscious way they do when speaking about young people and in this case uh, female and in a lot of cases females without recognizing the kind of uh, malice of what they're doing I feel like it's something that we have to address and now I think like for a lot of us we recognize well you know it's either there for work or some other utility but my personal thing is I don't go on it I don't go I don't go in there the same way as I don't look at a lot of things because I know who I am. I know who I am. If I start looking at things like that, the things that people say that are nice about me are never good enough and don't last. And the things that people say that are mean, I go, yeah, that's true, actually. I am a pretty worthless guy. So my response to it has been to uh, not go in there anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the healthiest way. I had to kind of learn the hard way. That was actually something that I said in the interview was I found myself going and looking for it in a way, Mm. like almost looking for the mean comments and the abuse. And then I was like, why would I ever do this? And it really messed up with my confidence. And the second I kind of put it to one side and was like, I'm not going to look at this. This is not helping me in any way. Things started to change in me personally, my confidence emotionally, like who I was as an artist what I wanted to say in my songs, everything kind of changed from that point on. So um, I definitely think like the right the right way to go about it is, is not to look at it. Sometimes easier said than done, but
1: yeah. I think we have to address the part of ourselves that is attracted to negative information. So what is that about me that sort of wants to look at that? What have I not dealt with in myself that this stuff is somehow appealing, dark though it is? And perhaps as importantly, is we have to put ourselves in environments where we are cherished and taken care of. And I hope this is clear in a way, the kind of um, vapid, idiotic sycophancy that can easily accumulate around somebody with power. I mean, in a kind of loving and transparent environment. Where people can tell you, I don't think that's right and I don't think that's fair. But also in their hearts, they want you to succeed because there are enough of them. Evidently, a lot of people really love you. And that's something that you should be connecting to and treating as foundational in your work going forward. I'm talking to the people that love me. I'm not talking to the people that don't like me. They can go and get their own therapy.
0: Yeah. Russell, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I've loved, loved talking to you. Usually at the end of my conversations, I really like to ask for some lists. And I, I have two lists, two recommendations that I would love from you. And the first one is, I guess knowing that you're more of like a practicer and not necessarily a practitioner, You've certainly encountered lots of like, helpful resources over the years and I would love to know what are your top five tips for people who are listening to this that are struggling with addiction.
1: The first thing you must do if you are struggling with addiction is seek the help of 12-step support groups which can be physically attended or attended online. Find other people understand what you are feeling, break the idea that you are alone. That's the first thing you have to do. You have to admit to yourself that there is a problem that needs to be addressing. You have to awaken to that reality you have to believe it is possible to change so in order to do that you might want to spend time with other people that have been through what you have been through and are able to change you have to develop a relationship with an aspect of yourself that is beyond your own sense of worthlessness and fear and you have to be willing to live a different way of life I suppose then what I'm really saying is get the support of others believe change is possible develop a spiritual relate, And what I want to say by spiritual, I suppose, because sometimes that word is like people don't like it. I mean, um, I want to say there is something in you that is beautiful and that is worth saving and that there is a different way to live. There is a different way to live. And I would start looking into prayer and meditation but sometimes people need a little bit of encouragement and coaxing before they get into that stuff so i'd probably just say admit it to yourself and get among other people that know how to deal with it that's the first thing and maybe the rest of it will unfold from there
0: amazing thank you and the second one is i would love to know your five favorite podcasts that you like to listen to
1: I like to listen to Fern Cotton's Happy Place. She talks to fantastic people and always talks about sort of well-being and uh, she's really an intrepid learner, Fern. She's really taught herself a lot and she's changed. She's from a normal background. She's a really, really great woman. Uh, The Midnight Miracle is Dave Chappelle's podcast that he does with most death on uh, Luminary. That's the platform my podcast is on. I listen to Joe Rogan. I know there's been a lot of controversy around Joe Rogan, but I think he's handled that real well. I certainly have been really clear about what I feel about the use of uh, racist language. And obviously what I feel is that I condemn that. Um, But I feel that his podcast is an important place and he's doing something very unique. There's a podcast called This Jungian Life right and this Jungian life is four therapists right do sat around where they like they analysed culture from a Jungian perspective Carl Jung was a person who, who founded the profession of psychiatry along with Sigmund Freud but he's famous Jung because he believed in mysticism Freud thought the root of all neurosis was sort of sexual desire and repression Jung believed that there is a mystical aspect to life that there are archetypal unconscious energies that we all have access to I love this dude these anecdotes analysts talk about his theories and ideas and apply it to culture you would love it then there's a podcast called philosophize this where this geezer takes a philosopher each week uh, or over a few weeks and uh, he breaks down their philosophy for you so it'd be like Nietzsche or Sartre or uh, Simone de Bouvier and break down all it right this is why this person's important it puts it in a way that you understand it so there's some podcasts that some podcasts that I like right there
0: amazing I'll be checking that out thank you so much for your time Thank you for your generosity and and for your words. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people are really, really going to enjoy this. So thank you so much
1: thanks for having me on do it so lovely to speak to you and uh to meet you properly and i wish you every success in what you're doing you seem like you're really on the right path and you're doing thank great work you. you're fantastic i'm going to send you then books mate i'm going to send you some books so i'll get some information oh, thank you i would love that off of someone
0: thank you thank you so much russell i really really appreciate it
1: all right mate
0: all right thanks mate take care bye see ya My deepest of gratitude once again to Russell Brand, who's given us all quite a lot to think about. Now that I'm in full gear with this whole podcasting thing, I'm wondering what podcast series you think I should listen to, especially after hearing Russell's list. I'm always trying to broaden my listening horizons, whether it's to do with wellness, pop culture, news, comedy, literature, you name it. If you have a favorite you think I'd love to, write in or send your voice notes to podcast at service95.com with your name and Instagram handle. And we might just feature your selection on an upcoming episode thanks to all of you who have already subscribed to my newsletter service 95 which this week spotlights an incredible range of stories from the somali british poet and writer warson shire to a feature on the sustainability and art focused gallery climate coalition you'll even get a very special list from me of my top facialists from around the world who save my ass every time i'm travelling. If you've not yet subscribed, we offer the newsletter in multiple languages. So visit our website at www.service95.com to sign up and learn more. Thank you as always for tuning in to Dua Lipa at your service. We'll see you next week with yet another very special
1: guest.